Good morning. Morning. Hey, Ryan. Welcome to Hacker Bio. Lovely day today. Welcome to anybody who's listening on a live stream. This is episode number nine of Hacker Bio, I believe. I actually did nice. the count this time. Last time I thought it was number nine, <laughs> but it was number nine this time. Just a quick introduction for those listening in for the first time. Hacker Bio is a podcast where we talk about the technologists in our industry, the stories, the successes, and how people got to where they are today, and hopefully share some lessons with the community that they can take away for themselves and their careers. So our guest today is Ryan. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Ryan, I think you should be the one giving us an intro because I know a lot about you. We've kind of collaborated on a few things, but I think uh, there's some good context in what you're doing today and what you might be doing in the future that you're probably better to present for the audience. So give us a quick intro. Cool. Yeah. So my name's Ryan. Actually, just yesterday was my last day. I was the CTO at HackerU for a little over three and a half years. And starting end of this month, I'll be starting as a UX developer lead at Shopify. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, and yeah, we've worked together on Node School a bunch and kind of those fun things. So yeah. Congratulations on the new opportunity there. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. So that's, a, you know, I mean, that's that's one way to start the conversation talking about this transition that you're now going to be going through. And, you know, mm -hmm. you haven't started yet, but like it's interesting coming from the background of HackerU. For those who don't know, HackerU mm -hmm. is a technology focused education program, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, for sure. It's a school that helps people come in and become junior web developers. So we have two sort of platforms. There's part-time classes and the full-time course. Part-time classes, you can do sort of HTML, CSS, and then go into JavaScript and kind of go like that. The full-time course, which is the sort of the thing we're known most for, or they're known most for, I guess I should say, is nine weeks long. You come in with like little to no knowledge. And then by the end, at this point, they're building like React applications with Firebase and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, pretty exciting thing. So yeah, it's a technology-focused web development program. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And your role there as the CTO, can you tell us more about that? What does that mean for a learning type business? Yeah, so my role there was a lot of uh, curriculum development and sort of making sure that we're teaching the right things at the right time and what are going to make our students the most successful. Sort of our switch from WordPress to React was a pretty big one. We saw fewer and fewer WordPress postings, but JavaScript has become sort of, you know, the de facto programming language for the web, but also the thing that most employers are looking for, even at a junior level, are like, oh, you have like eight years experience in React. And like nobody does, but that was kind of the, the thing. So as a CTO, it was sort of making sure the curriculum is up to date, making sure the students have the proper tools and resources to be as successful as possible, be that sort of, you know, actual just little tools being created or video content, uh, extra lessons, whatever it is. So yeah, it was mostly like, how do I accommodate the students and work with the other instructors to make sure that they're working uh, as effectively as possible? Very cool. You know, I would love to know more about how did you get into that type of position and that type of organization, but starting all the way back from what was your kind of first foray into programming and software development? Yeah. So I have like a, a twin brother, identical twin brother. He lives in Vancouver. And when we were in high school, we had some computer science classes, which was pretty amazing. We lived in Dundas at the time. And through that, we learned like C, a little C++, that kind of stuff. So I was always kind of excited about that really easy. It felt like easy and natural for me to do that, but didn't really explore it then. But we really got into video game modding, uh, like Half-Life, Unreal, that kind of stuff. Uh, my brother Nick got way more into it. And I wanted to kind of get into sort of the modeling side of things, like building out characters, animations, etc. So technology was always like a thread for a long time. 
ended up going to school for illustration because in order to get into computer animation at Sheridan, which I was just like, I'm just going to go there. That's the place I'm going to go. You need like an art degree. I was like, oh, cool. I'll do illustration, whatever. Ended up like not wanting to do either of those about halfway through the course. And at the very end of the course, we had to build websites, portfolio sites. So it was like Photoshop sliced like tables, you know, that you export. And then it's just like this garbage site and people want to update their stuff easily. But in order to do that, you either had to re-slice it or get into the code. And the code made sense to me. So I just got into the code and started like helping people and was like, oh, this is actually really fun. And that was sort of like the start for me, sort of the end of college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do and then realizing, oh, why don't I just kind of like try to get into this web development thing? So from there, it's just like kind of like self-taught journey of working retail for a while. And teaching myself on the side, I used to work at a shoe store, or sorry, Queen and John, and there used to be a chapter is like just below there. And like, I'd be working there, go to the chapters, check out a JavaScript book or something. Couldn't buy it because they were like super expensive. They are still kind of a little bit expensive, but uh, would kind of check it out, go back to work, maybe play around with something, go home, play around with something. And then... Yeah, I just kind of went from there. And it took a while to get actually into a company because everyone values like experience. And unless you can show that you have, you know, a year or something at a company on your resume, it's so hard to break into a company for someone like to trust you. But I did eventually get a job at a little startup, a startup called Push Science. I honestly kind of forget what they did. (laughs) It was a while ago. I was doing that in the retail thing for a while, and but that was like my good break into it. And then once I had that on my resume, I just kind of went from like little agency, little company here and there for quite a while until I think it was like 2013, 2012, 2013 that I started getting really involved with Ladies Learning Code, which is now Canada Learning Code. And through that, I met Heather and kind of like became pretty consistent in that community, it was like showing up to mentor a lot and then eventually did some teaching for that and realized I actually really quite enjoyed the teaching aspect and the helping people and it came very naturally and it kind of went back to me helping my friends in college fix their sites because it was something that I really enjoyed doing so uh, over time Heather was just kind of like do you want to work here and I wasn't quite ready at the time I just kind of wanted to keep working keep working and the company I was working for just before Hacker U, I was like able to work on some pretty big sites just by myself and like thrown into it so once I was finished those I was like you know what now's the time I want to get into it so 2015 I think I think it was February 2015 joined Hacker U and then just kind of kept growing from there. Yeah. Very cool. I think there's a lot of interesting nuggets of things I want to dive into there, whether it's the mm. learning at the chapters with the uh, taking on the books and then reading them <laughs> or the being present and being a contributor leads to opportunities. Mm-hmm. But let's start with the learning part because, you know, we can do a full circle on that. Yeah. I remember back in my day, uh, there, there wasn't quotes there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't that many opportunities for self-learning online. Mm-hmm. There were, obviously, it's, it was never the situation that were, you know, you couldn't find information online. You could, but the information was simply that. It was information. It wasn't materials for learning as you would get in a book uh, or as you would get in a course or so on. Um, so a lot of the time it was either, as you said, getting help from others or helping others or, you know, getting books and reading books and learning there. So I'm interested to hear more about like your self-taught journey there. What was the kind of uh, key aspect or what helped you kind of become a better programmer? You know, you mentioned the story about going to the chapters and mm-hmm. picking up the books and trying to read there, what other elements kind of helped you in your career and your development journey? Yeah, I think that's a big one because when I was starting Code Academy, like that kind of stuff hadn't started just yet. Like it wasn't a thing. There's so many resources now that it boggles my mind. I wish those were around when I was starting out. Honestly, yeah, the book stuff was pretty big for me. But even then, it's too dry. It's just like, here's how functions works. Here's a closure. You're like, okay, 
how do I apply that to anything? You know, so what I would do sort of my biggest, I think, teaching myself was taking on in my mind, like projects I wanted to do, like I want to do X, Y, and Z. And every time I would do that, I would kind of do things that I knew I could do and maybe just like as practice, but then also kind of come up with things that were like outside the scope of what I already knew, because that would allow me to start to research and then start to figure out like, oh, how do I accomplish my task? I think I was telling this to a student who's writing a little blog post the other week. With that, you start to learn things that you wouldn't have thought you would know because you have to like deep dive. You go in like a bit of a rabbit hole and it can be kind of frustrating because you're like, I'm actually not accomplishing my task yet, but you're just like in this rabbit hole. But then when you come out of it, you're like, okay, I figured out what I need to do. But I also learned like two or three things that later I might be able to apply to something. So a lot of my learning, yeah, it was through books. It was through, unfortunately, not a lot of videos at the time. I think Linda had some stuff, but I don't can't recall if I ever really got into that. And then it was just like applying it and just trying like a little bit of Stack Overflow, some forums here and there, but just like kind of pushing myself and trying to figure out a thing here and there. Yeah. It's interesting. If I think of the generation before us, uh, it was almost entirely academic type of approach to learning and building your career and your knowledge in your career. If uh, you know, you look at, uh, let's say, our generation, like you said, there weren't any of those online resources. There wasn't companies like HackerU providing kind of knowledge outside of universities. And a lot of it was exactly as you mentioned, you know, either people like us going and doing side projects or helping each other or, you know, through the open source community, trying to learn things and contribute to things to expand our knowledge and our careers. And then and nowadays, you kind of have this third type or third phase of how people are learning and how people are getting into the industry, which is either online programs like Code Academy or physical in-presence programs like HackerU or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And there's, like you said, there's too many resources. I can't even keep track of them. That to me is like how that evolution happened in less than 30 years. Yeah, I would say collectively, like, you know, if you think of the generation before us and where we are today, that's that's a 30 year journey. And I'm wondering, what do you see happening next? Are we at the peak now where, you know, anybody can go and learn and get into it and get the resources they need and get the the non dry stuff, as you mentioned, of actually building projects through these online programs and through these kind of uh, physical programs as well? Uh, What happens next? What's missing to take that to the next level? Yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like right now we're definitely at like a like a saturation point in terms of how much tech education there is out there. I think we've definitely seen a like a need for more developers because every company is almost a technology company at this point. I don't know what's next. I feel like the one issue with right now is that there's a lot of like you need to learn X, Y, and Z in the next three months to be successful. And like, I think that's a bit of a, an issue I find. But I wonder if kind of what next is more sort of like schools like HackerU or programs like that becoming just the standard across for just sort of all industries almost, but also for the technology industry where people can change their careers, people can get the sort of training they need if they have the right mindset to do it. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the future holds for that kind of education system. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just an interesting thought. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I was also coming back to in what you said is People are being asked to have eight years of experience in React. And and that's kind of been, that's always been the trope, right? Like, you know, back when jQuery was two months old, people were like, okay, well, you need five years experience in jQuery. And it's like, that's not realistic. Whereas in today's example, as you mentioned with programs like in HackerU, you're actually building things. You're actually creating stuff as opposed to going to a university or school or reading a book. You have knowledge, but you don't have experience. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of this balance between knowledge and experience that's now being the gap between those two are shortened 
or at least minimized. So it's interesting to think of, you know, what companies are hiring or teams are hiring more developers to their team. Mm-hmm. Having hands-on experience that is just part of your education and part of what you're doing is definitely going to add value to companies and teams who are trying to expand their developer base. And in that context, you know, yourself being kind of part of that learning and educational program setting for people. I think that's one of the skills that's actually not being taught or not being shared as often. And it's part of our personal growth, which is teaching mm-hmm. or sharing knowledge in a more abstract way. So like, as you're now heading into this new kind of adventure of yours, you know, you're now going to be working on a product team again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have developers who are going to be junior, intermediate, senior who are part of the team. What skills are you bringing with you from the kind of hacker you experience of teaching others that you're going to look at here? Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day because I was trying to figure out like what kind of leader I want to be in that sense because coming from teaching, you are definitely like leading and managing people. I think the skills I want to bring and I want to impart on people are same things that the students do. Like I don't want just assume people know how to do something. I want to make sure that they are going to be able to get where they need to be. If they can't, I want them to like take some time to explore it. And then like the real learning, and we make our students do this a lot is like when you can explain it back to somebody, that's when you get it. So we really, really, really encourage them to go to like a kind of learning code and mentor there. Because like once you can explain something to somebody who has absolutely no idea, you really ingrain that knowledge. So that's something I want to try to bring across as well. You kind of like learn about so much when you have to like explore things. So I want to just a sense of exploration as well. I think not assuming, you know, just like letting people kind of get where they need to be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have your expectations and your perspective, mm-hmm. and then you have to balance that with what people needs are. But personally, I think your role as a leader or a teacher is to help people self-navigate as opposed to navigate for them. You said something interesting there in the context of, you know, as you're becoming a team leader and leading developers and leading team members, you're bringing a lot of skills with you there. How do you balance the responsibilities of being a team leader and having deliverables and work and at the same time helping individuals grow and you know helping the team do their work do you think the role of the leader is to be the one to make decisions and go and do the work or do you think the role of the leader should be more about helping the team i think it should be making decisions but helping the team something that's like a bit of a challenge for me sometimes is that urge to like well i can do it i'll just like get it done kind of thing but no one's winning there you're getting it done the person who had to do it isn't learning at all so it is definitely like making the decision that the decisions, but also making sure that somebody else is executing on that because that's where people are going to learn. Like, I know I could do it, but they need to learn how to do it so that they can also be successful. Um, Yeah. Okay. Another thing you mentioned is the aspect of explaining things to others, and especially in the test that you provided there. Like if you learn something, your test of actually knowing if you really understand it is to explain it to somebody else who've never seen it before. One of my struggles, mm-hmm. I've heard this from a lot of people, is actually explaining what we do to other people. Yeah. Because for many people who are not familiar with programming or technology, uh, and this is true for you know friends and family, but also true for potential business leaders and functions that don't are not an affinity with technology. Like say the accountant in the company doesn't quite understand what a programmer would do, right? Mm-hmm. So explaining that passion that we have for software development and working in an industry where, as you said, you have to spend a lot of your time just sitting there debugging something mm-hmm. or just falling into a rabbit hole of challenges that are not really your original challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually enjoy it. How do you explain that to, let's say, friends or family or, you know, the grandmother who hasn't been involved with technology, perhaps, right? I don't know. I've struggled with this because multiple times my mom's family, they'll ask me what I do and I'll I'll explain it. And then like the next Christmas, they'll ask me again. I'm just like, this is, you know, uh, I think I've just kind of settled on like, you know, I help people build websites and that exploration side is just kind of like it's I think people understand problem solving. So basically you just tell them you 
really enjoy solving problems and like puzzles. Uh, and then they're like, oh, okay, I guess. Like they maybe can't conceptualize like what you're actually doing, but if you can abstract it to like, I'm just making an app and there's like a big problem I have to solve and just getting the pieces together. Yeah, I feel like I've never successfully explained what I do to my family or uh, friends who are completely outside of the industry. Yeah. Like, how do you explain it to people? I have no idea. This is why I started this <laughs> podcast so I can learn from others. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of our conversations, whatever I have a conversation like this with anybody, centrals around either a stereotype or centrals around pre-perceived notions of, well, you know, developers are just sitting there looking at code all day long. Right, yeah. Well, but we're not. We're not actually typing code all day long. We're not actually writing code all day long. We're not reading the code itself as much as we're like trying to discern the inputs and the outputs of what we're doing and compare that to examples from others, either through documentation or online forums or so on to get a better understanding of how do we go from point A to point B. But that in itself is not a good explanation or an easy explanation to share because there's a lot of context in that. Mm -hmm. Especially like, you know, you probably have seen this before and I've seen this before where like, let's say in my consulting career, something as simple as can we just add a button to the website? And the answer is no, it's not that simple. There's a lot of things that have to come together in order to add that button, you know, to just keep it simple. And I think the challenge I have, or at least the desire I want to surface, especially in this context and having these kind of conversations is for kind of the business leaders and the business owners who have to work with technologists and developers to understand the motivation behind the individuals who want to do this for a living. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know, I mean, I don't know a lot of people who would say they enjoy programming because they enjoy selling the product that their company does mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, the service or so on as much as they actually are doing it for the challenge of problem solving, you know, the adventure of creating something, opportunity to work with others and collaborate and do all that kind of things, right? So um, I think that's the key in what we do and why what we do is challenging because it pulls in a lot of strings where collaboration is key, patience is key, communication is key. There's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, for sure. It mostly is the challenge because I know people who work at companies where they can't even really explain what the product necessarily is. And so they're not excited about selling whatever it is, but there are those challenges. It's like, oh, we have to build this thing that accommodates all these people, blah, blah, blah. And that's that's the exciting thing. I'm also, I think over time, because I feel like this is still a very young industry in terms of what we're doing. Like over time, people, I think, will understand more and more. You know, you think about like accountants and lawyers and stuff like that. Those kind of careers have been around so much longer. People have a slight better understanding of like oh they're going to court they're going to do this or that you know but it's like oh i have to like make sure the ci system is running fine people are like what what is that and you're like you have to explain it but over time people are like going to hear it a bunch more and then they're like i get it i see but yeah i think there's a weird newness to the industry and especially now with every company becoming technology company people just don't understand and podcasts like this is a great example of trying to get that knowledge out there and then hopefully over time people are like oh i heard somebody talk about this one time i understand maybe why it'll be hard i'll let you figure it out yourself uh, to the point about the industry being new and the opportunities being wide enough i was actually thinking about this the other day where i get emails from salespeople all the time right you know for the work that i do and people are always trying to pitch me you know their products and their services to use for our company and i got a few emails recently and it occurred to me that there are much better ways that these sales individuals could have done their reach out with data with automation with some things that 
you know, I can do, but perhaps they cannot, right? Because, you know, it's a different skill set, it's a different practice altogether. But then I started thinking, you know, as developers and as technologists, we hold the keys for the evolution of these practices and the evolution of these things. And you see that either in you know, products that are being created that kind of either are replacing human level work or amplifying it or adding more value to it or changing the way it works. You know, I'm just using sales as an example, but it's a simple example because, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. a sale starts with a conversation, whether that's a virtual or a personal conversation, right? But uh, the individual needs to know about you and your context and that's data. Yeah. And being able to personalize that message so that the conversation is a successful one, uh, to me, sounds like a logical equation that you can actually apply some technology to solve that problem. Whether it's you know the data collection and aggregation, or whether it's the personalization of the message, or even going as far as applying technologies of today like machine learning and kind of uh, AI technologies to even further take that conversation to a successful outcome. Whereas today, it's almost completely entirely dependent on the human mm -hmm. to go and actually pull out all that information together. Maybe there's a way to automate some of them. Maybe there's a way to augment that skill set through technology. So I was just saying in the context of how programming and technology and careers that we're leading are changing industries more than just ours. And as you said, every company is a technology company now. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing to me in that is, and this was, like I said, it was just a random thought that I went through. It's like, well, what if I stop being a programmer, become a salesperson? Right. Yeah. And on what skills can I apply to actually do that. Um, so that would be potentially a game changer or potentially a terrible, horrible idea. <laughs> but it's something interesting because there's a lot of things that we developers are very knowledgeable on and very capable of mm -hmm. that the different practices could definitely leverage. So, you know, two questions in that context. A, do you think everybody should learn programming? And do you think everybody should have at least some basic skill in that context while working in other practices like you know, sales and marketing or something else. And B, have you ever considered doing something else? Because you mentioned you started with, you know, going to illustrating school and design and so on, but you ended up in the programming world. Where's your thought on that? Like, well, let's just start with the first question is, do you think that everybody should learn programming? To an extent, I think everyone maybe should try some sort of programming, be it like basic HTML, CSS, or something like that. Just some people, I think, have an understanding. Because if you've never done it and you're just like, it's a complete mystery to you, if you're trying to sell a product or trying to have your team, if you're like, you know, in marketing, it's like, oh, yeah, just like put a button on the page. Why is it so hard? It can be so mysterious that, you know, you have no idea. So I think it'd be good to have a little bit of that. Not everyone should be as, you know, as in-depth as we are, but just like a little bit, like a, like a hint, a touch, that would be nice. In terms of have I ever considered like another path or something like that, I do think with like the teaching background and the ability to uh, maybe condense and explain things like a sales style role could be something I would be good at just because I think I can take sort of very complex topics and make them a little bit easier for people to understand who don't know like the actual specifics of it, but like what are like the real world examples or what are some good analogies to how the things work? And I think a lot of programmers or developers would actually be very good at that. And that actually might kind of help with sales and stuff like that. Because a lot of people who are selling things of this type have no background doing that. So they don't understand necessarily the specifics of the technology. And if people start asking them questions, they might have some go-to answers. But if somebody's kind of worked with these technologies before and they know the ins and outs, then it's going to be like an easier sell for them and, and maybe even a better experience for the customer who's trying to buy or uh, incorporate that system because they get all of their questions answered effectively. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. One of my previous lives and previous companies was leading, obviously, the product development and technology, but had to fill in that role of the quote unquote sales slash kind of customer relations. And but it was, you know, like I said, it was like a unique situation where the product was the technology. So actually talking to the CTOs and CIOs who end up being our customers coming from a position of, yeah, I built this and, and you know, my, I run the team that actually writes the code and the technology that you're buying not only gives you the opportunity to bypass a lot of the, the sales kind of, uh, I don't want to say bullshit, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of... Uh, the buzzwords, buzzwords kind of and all the kind of yeah. conversations just to warm things up and just talk real talk, talk about your actual work and talk about their actual needs. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely valuable. But I was even thinking in the context of, and I see this, you know, every day at work, people spend a lot of time in something as simple as a spreadsheet, yeah. trying to morph that spreadsheet to do some magical things for them. Mm-hmm. And I look at it, I'm like, just give me the CSV data and you know a few lines of code and I can just create what I need to create, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that skill set in that context definitely changes not only productivity, but also value to the business and hmm. to, to the individual. And the same thing applies even for graphic design. I see a lot of the time, you know, I'm organizing a conference now and I'm working with designers to create kind of assets and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of repetition that has to happen, obviously, because the logos are the same, the assets are the same, but different files that has to be created for different reasons. In the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, this can just be made into files that can be automated into creating new files. And there's assets Mm -hmm. and variables I can create and reuse. But unfortunately, you see the duplication of like literally either copy pasting or, you know, having to wrangle the design design application in this case photoshop let's say yeah to enable a workflow right Mm -hmm. whereas we programmers can automate a workflow out of nothing and create it for ourselves yeah i think excel is a really interesting example because um i know this person she's a lawyer and big excel sheet they were working on to find something but you know you could figure out some formula through excel which is like a programming in itself right like all these weird formulas and the connections but somebody knew python and they wrote like a little script that like basically just did it like that and it's like that kind of stuff if you know just like a little bit uh, about something you can like just kind of completely change your workflow and i think there's an interesting aspect there that any sort of industry could benefit from knowing like a little bit of programming, right? Again, like you don't have to know everything, just like a little bit like, and then you can maybe grow on that. And then maybe you decide, oh, I actually really enjoy this thing. Or you're like, no, this is not for me. But I think everyone should at least dabble slightly. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I want to go back all the way to your background in illustration and design. You said Mm -hmm. you wanted to do illustration and design. Yep. Was there any skills that that kind of brought into your programming journey? What kind of skills? I think for me, especially like front-end web development, it definitely brought being able to reason about designs and build them out in interactions. It brought a lot of that thinking, like that sort of very creative thinking along with the problem solving of how do I build the thing. Uh, Also, because programming is creative in itself, maybe not a skill, but a thing that was easy to transition over was that kind of creative problem solving mindset of, you know... I have to come up with this illustration for something or I have to come up with a solution for something. There's something there. I think for me, it's mostly been like, uh, especially for the front end stuff, being able to speak with designers about the design and like be knowledgeable uh, enough to have confidence. Because I think a lot of people, if you're just like a straight technical background, you don't have that confidence to be like, hey, there's something weird about this. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something weird. But being able to be like, there's something weird about it. And it's because of, I think this, what do you think about that? That's been, that was like a real asset for many years for me. And I think that's what helped me kind of get where I am because 
when I started, I was doing web design and development and then kind of just transitioned straight into the development side. But being able to work with designers more effectively has been super, super beneficial. Yeah. That's also one of the uh, stereotypes of developers in our industries that designers and developers just don't gel. Yeah, exactly. But like they totally can. It's just sometimes there's a knowledge gap. And it, it's also maybe on the developer or the designer to kind of like help each other get to where they are. I think you can't just be kind of like aggro against the people. It's like, oh, designers, oh, developers. It's like, well, we're all just trying to do a thing. Can you help me understand what you're doing? I'll help you understand what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you're probably at an advantage given you have a little bit of that context as well, mm -hmm. uh, where others like myself, I have no ability to... <laughs> articulate in a meaningful way mm. a design kind of uh, perspective but i am very knowledgeable with the user experience and a user journey given you know the history of having to build applications and, and seeing the results of those journeys right uh, but uh, you know ask me the color theory or ask me about anything to do with uh, design aesthetics or content kind of uh, guidelines i just i know my limits and i know that i can't do that so this is where like you said it's about a you know, knowing what the gaps are and be upfront about them and communicating clearly with the others to help you kind of fill those gaps. The last question I'm going to ask you is um, going back into, again, the learning and the education theme of this of this conversation has been so far. Mm -hmm. I also see a camp of people who say, you know, computer science and the academic method is the right approach versus self-learning and in today's world, as we mentioned, the kind of programs and schools and the online courses that you can do. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of a tension there in terms of people think one is better than the other. I certainly have my opinions about it. I want to hear yours. Yeah, I think it really depends, especially on what you want to do. Like, I think for like the front end world, like front end development, which has been my main focus for many years now, computer science doesn't have as much of a place until sort of you're like solving like really huge problems, you know, like you're like working on React and like you have to figure out how to shave, you know, milliseconds off the render time for everyone's app. All these learnings that you took from computer science, the theoretical learning, like you can start to apply. But with front end development, you can be self-taught. You can like me, like you can be somebody who's just like learning as they go and be super successful. So computer science has its place, but it's also, it doesn't necessarily have to be there at the start of your career. If you're going in and the start of your career is like, you know, machine learning, Amazon delivery, drop points, whatever. Yeah, you have to know a lot of heavy lifting stuff and understand like space-time complexity and all this kind of stuff. But I think it really depends. I think I've seen in the past where, you know, internships to do like front end stuff is they need a computer science degree but you don't need to sort a binary tree to make a button blue, you know? <laughs> and actually the people who get those coming from computer science don't understand how to, you know, lay this stuff out. But the person who was learning how to build this stuff, like could do it like that, but they don't pick people like that. Like the HR people don't pick those people because, you know, computer science has been that, like, you have to have this. That's how you become a programmer thing. So I agree. Like I'm also kind of like a, of two worlds, but I have also leaned more towards like, you don't need a computer science degree to get started. It's beneficial. And like, there's a lot of learning and maybe you can like get that knowledge later in your career. But if you're starting junior front-end developer, junior web developer, I think you're good. Yeah. What's your opinion on on that? I mean, I would I would go even further. I'd say I don't think anybody should know how to sort binary trees, okay? Like computers <laughs> have figured that out. We don't need to worry about yeah. it anymore. Yeah. I would just say like, I don't think you need a computer science degree, period, if you want to work in technology or in programming at any level, including if you want to do machine learning. And the reason for that is 
it depends on how deep you want to go. And that has nothing to do with your career. You can be a machine learning data scientist today and have never touched computer science in your entire life. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing. Only our industry enables us to do that. There's no other industry in the world that allows people to come from nothing, come from no knowledge, no history, no context, and pick things up and start actually building real things. Yeah, I think this idea of education, I think education maybe just has to change because certain fields, like I wouldn't trust a doctor who never went to medical school. Exactly. So I think that's the thing where it's like, oh, I shouldn't trust a person who never got a computer science degree. But I think there is something about our industry and technology where it's like, if someone's passionate enough to like want to learn that stuff, it's not life or death, you know? We shouldn't disregard their experience just because they didn't go to four years computer science and know all the theoretical whatevers, you know? Well, it's, I mean, it's two sides, right? Like in this context, there's learning and there's a certification, right? In yeah. many, many industries, there's still a certification process. Like you said, I wouldn't trust a doctor who hasn't gone to a medical school. And I also wouldn't trust a doctor that's not certified. Yeah. Whereas in our industry, we don't have to do either of those things which is a great opportunity. Now, the other side of that coin is when I tell people, don't go to school, don't bother with that shit. I also tell them, you also need to understand the context of what you're building, Mm -hmm. understand the source of where these things came from and why they work the way they work. A very simple and easy example that I always use in interviews, not to evaluate the individual, but just to see if they're actually gone that far or not. Mm -hmm. I ask them, you know, Actually, this changed because the spec name and the numbering changed. But I used to ask one question. Uh, now it has to be seven. <laughs> it used to be, do you know what RFC 2016 is? Right. And that's the HTTP spec. Oh, yeah. But people don't know that. I mean, it's not a it's not a trick question. It's not an evaluation question. But I ask it just to see if somebody's really that deep into it. And in my, I've interviewed thousands and thousands of developers in my career. And I think only two people ever answered that. <laughs> so... RFC 2616 has then been renamed to RFC 20 or 32 or 2371 through 78 or something like that. Oh, I wow. can't even remember the number anymore. Yeah. But um, so now it's multiple specs. So now it's harder to ask that question and make a levity of it. But the point there is if you're a web developer, if you're a backend developer, if you're a database developer, if you're any sort of web programmer or developer or even a systems developer, mm-hmm. you're probably dealing with HTTP and the web at some level. And People who haven't gone deep enough to understand, I mean, I'm not saying go all the way to understand how TCP and networking work, maybe that's a little bit too much, but at least understand the protocol in which your websites operate on and which your application systems talk to each other and so on. The funny thing about this, you don't even learn that in computer science. Yeah. Right? You'd go to university, you wouldn't actually know these things, you're learning some fundamentals about binary tree sorting, Yeah. (laughs) but you're not learning fundamentals about how technology works today. So that's my kind of message back. You know, they used the jQuery example from back in the day. We used to get a lot of resumes, and we see this today, obviously, with React and Angular. People say they're a jQuery developer or a React developer. Yeah. I'm like, okay, but do you know JavaScript? Yeah. Right? That's yeah. the simplest example I can I can share back. For sure, yeah. Like, I think people do that as well, though, because it's like, that's the hot thing, and it's like, I'm a Angular developer, and you're like, cool, 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 but you're like, you know JavaScript, though, right? Or do you just know, yeah. just know Angular? Yeah. And I've seen people who've invested their time and energy in just learning Angular or React or jQuery and so on and getting really good at it. But that was my point is that you're also missing the fundamental and the fundamental being JavaScript. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a very enlightening conversation. I feel like we can keep going. But, uh, you know, I want to thank you for your time, Ryan. And thank you. Maybe we'll do this again and talk even more about uh, frameworks and JavaScript and yeah. do a battle of the frameworks, see which one is better. I don't know. What's your <laughs> choice? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is React your choice? Uh, 
Uh, right now, yeah, for sure. Okay. Views, are, views coming up, I don't know. But having taught React for so long, that's 100% my go-to right now. Fair enough, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, be working on updating the episode. We've had some technical difficulties, so bear with yeah, us. Probably going to be a couple of days before it goes live. But uh, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks.